This is the Innovation Engine Podcast. Every Monday, we bring you interviews with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. We talk about company culture, corporate leadership, emerging trends in technologies, and more. Coming to you from Three Pillar Global's headquarters in Fairfax, Virginia, here's your host, Will Sherlin. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us today. So let's kick things off today talking about the book, Masters of Innovation, Building the Perpetually Innovative Company. In it, you name five areas for companies to focus on that will improve innovation performance and propel the company towards sustainable and profitable growth. Can you give listeners an overview of what those five areas are and how they're interconnected? Sure. The first area of focus is on building the foundation of innovation. This includes developing the right organizational structure and most importantly, the right innovation culture, including putting the right processes and governance in place. The second area of focus is defining, defining the right innovation strategy, knowing what you want to achieve, having a point of view of the future, defining the innovation search fields, managing to the customer's desired outcome, understanding the company's capabilities and investing accordingly, as well as very importantly, drawing the innovation roadmap. Um, the third area of focus that we emphasize in the book is maximizing the value of the innovation portfolio. That is managing the pipeline, not as one portfolio, but in a sequence. Um, the fourth area of focus is on increasing the efficiency and the speed of innovation. Time to profit is the key performance indicator that drives cross-functional cross and partner collaboration. Um, the final area of our book is focused on improving profitability. Best innovators ensure that profitability um, is sustainable over the entire life cycle of their product and service. For example, they ensure that their processes are very coherent, they manage complexity, they apply lean and agile thinking, and finally, they try to improve their 
collaboration, cross-functional uh, participation, and partnerships throughout the life cycle of the product. Okay. I, I think I, I have nothing to add. It was perfect. <laughs> and and you mentioned an innovation roadmap in that answer. How far yeah. out do you typically look with an innovation roadmap for a company? Well, you can. It depends what your goals are. Right. One area that we talk about is foresighting and scenario planning. So the foresighting typically is done with a horizon of five to ten years. And so when you do the roadmap, you have a more tactical plan that's focused on developing certain products that may be more, that introduce incremental innovation. And there might be other products that will be breakthrough. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the roadmap is usually a combination of, of tactical incremental improvements as well as breakthrough products. We might complement that by, um also services, right? So it's also business model innovation. Uh, it depends a little bit in what, what kind of industry you're in. So it's, it's very difficult to generalize across industries because the industry dynamics are quite different. If you look at utilities, uh, they have different dynamics than high tech in Silicon Valley, right? You know, think about Uber or Lyft. I think we all uh, look fascinated uh, into their dynamics they're currently achieving with uh, the market cap they they currently have and comparing that then to American waters, uh, which have probably completely different dynamics. So it, it, it depends a little bit on the on the industry dynamics, how you need to deal with road mapping. Sure, that makes sense. So Kai, let me ask you this, this next question. One of the biggest components for a company's success with innovation is to create a culture where innovation thrives. It was the first thing that Violetka mentioned. Can you share the, the three cornerstones you identify in the book as necessary to build cultures where innovation thrives? Yeah, I think they're the, the three things. And the three things are pretty straightforward. It's on one hand, openness, right? You, you need to be open for kind of new ideas and also uh, try to, to, to influence the stuff you have, to, to, to really look around and, and leverage the context and interfaces you have within the stakeholders of, of a business. And stakeholders are not only suppliers, they are customers, they are, they are research institutions, they are uh, market uh, insiders uh, to be, uh, uh, to, to a certain extent, well-structured and well-developed positioned around the world. So, and you need to be open and, and very proactive in listening to them, what's, what's popping up, and, and then consider how to deal with that best. That's the one thing. Um, the other thing is readiness to change. So whenever you have something identified, uh, uh, which is there and which might disrupt uh, your own business model, for sure you need to be ready to change. Uh, and quite often we see that as a significant difficulty for, for corporates to do so. Um, uh, and, and then the next one is, in this context, there need to be also uh, a, a kind of strive for excellence be embedded in the culture. So the rigidity uh, to go for the essential right thing uh, is something which is really, uh, I, I would say, distinctive uh, among the better ones compared to the laggards. The only thing I would like to add is this is that culture is the, um, is the foundation for success. I mean, truly, if you don't have the right culture, you can have the right processes, you can have the right metrics, you can have the right portfolio, you can be foresighting. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't have the right values and 
those those values don't drive your processes, and it would be very hard to drive innovation and be successful. Yeah. So if you look at most successful companies, that's culture is the basis for their success. They they've embedded, they've defined, they've embedded that culture and have been consistently living the values of that culture, regardless of changes in leadership. So in one of the tools that you write about to kind of prepare for that change, and you mentioned it in an earlier answer, Violetka, is scenario planning. So can you talk a little bit about that concept and how it can be used to feed into a company's big picture innovation strategy? Scenario planning is, um, scenario planning considers different scenarios that may be positive or negative. Um, there might be external trends, changes, some wild cards. Um, again, there might be negative or positive events that would impact the future of the company. The scenario planning captures the big picture and captures um, the potential outcomes or the potential futures of a company. So it's very, it, it's used mostly to um, anticipate and define the actions of the leadership uh, if a particular scenario occurs. So how foresighting scenario planning are critical, they identify, they help companies think through the major drivers and the major changes that are coming in the future and be prepared for those changes. What would they do if one scenario occurs or what would they do if another scenario occurs? So through select deep dives into each of these scenarios, company can decide on their actions and can quickly react to changes in the environment. So it, it is very important to try to anticipate and adjust your strategy uh, at least once annually, refresh and adjust the strategy to make sure you're responding uh, to the to the occurring changes in the environment, whether it's technology, whether it's market changes, whether it's competitor changes, introduction of new products, but it's very important to understand and react. And scenario planning helps you pretty much plan for that and revisit your strategy over time and adjust it as, necess as necessary. So it's probably also a kind of different way of thinking, right? Because um, when you think through it, many, many things are kind of clear. Uh, so when, when you think about energy, like uh, there is uh, uh, probably what, what, what can be projected is that there is a power grid parity between solar and, and conventional uh, uh, technologies in, in the U.S. next year, 2016. Uh, there's de demographic change. There is uh, uh, the other trends with regard to oil scarcity and so on and so forth. So many, many things can be projected and and somehow uh, be grabbed. Um, so the question is, uh, each company should should ask itself is, okay, what does this mean to us? So how can we how can we deal with it? How do we have to deal with it? And uh, by doing so, um, it, it, it's probably not. Uh, the best way to try to project on past experience, because when you think about the strategic process from the past, many, many of the uh, strategy concepts rely on uh, projecting on past experience and past numbers. Uh, so here, scenario planning comes into place by uh, using megatrends, uh, probably uh, thinking through what these megatrends might mean for the existing uh, approached and, and served market segments, build scenarios, 
and not fall into the trap to try to project uh, based on any any numbers and just try to to form scenarios and then argue with probabilities for uh, the one or the other one, which is the more uh, uh, more probable one. So um, it, it's a different way of thinking, which which helps a little bit to really um, also come to probably scenarios which 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 are completely different, are and apart from the current business business model and probably also from the current business thinking. One other thing is very important in uh, these days is in order to make it stick in the organization. Because change is accelerating uh, in the market, in technologies, and, and, and basically in the world. Um, in order to be fast in implementing, you need to involve in this uh, scenario planning and evaluation process uh, at least uh, a few layers of your hierarchy. So it's a more inclusive planning process, an evaluation process, in order to somehow uh, align the mindsets of your core leadership team um, in order to make change and implementation easier afterwards. In a typical scenario planning session, would what would that, would that, is that like a couple days? Is that one day? Is it a few hours? I'm sure it varies from, from company to company, but if somebody would heard this and thought that was a, an idea they'd like to follow up on, can you paint a picture of what scenario planning typically kind of looks like? Yeah, so um, it, it has something to do with how you transport all these insights of future, uh, the future, mm -hmm. uh, so the future core trends uh, into the minds of people. And w what we've seen so far from leaders around the world uh, dealing with, with innovation management is that uh, it, it, it's a series of, of kind of, uh, uh, I wouldn't say sessions, even even in-depth discussions throughout a moderated process where uh, you somehow, on the one hand, create the scenarios, evaluate the scenarios, and prioritize the scenarios in a certain scatter. And then, on the other hand, you really need to um, uh, align this kind of process with the corporate strategy process. So usually you have, again, depending on the dynamics of the industry, sometimes a, a strategic planning process is a year. Sometimes you need to revisit everything two years uh, massively. So depending on the dynamics, you need for sure to align this kind of process so that at a certain point in time when you formulate a strategy, that the innovation strategy and the corporate strategy is in sync. So in, in go back, going back to your question, how long does it take? So mm -hmm. there is definitely pre-work that needs to be done before the scenario planning session. And you need to pull in experts in research and ideally people outside of your company, some of your partners, including customers, um, and again, as mentioned, experts. But you need to define what are those major disruptors, so what could be those potential changes that may, um, you know, force you to alter your strategy or, or change your strategy. So you have to pull those people in. Usually that takes um, that, that can take at least a few weeks. The, the, the session itself for scenario planning, you know, based on also what Kai described, making it cross-functional, making it engage, engaging more and more people uh, from various parts of the leadership team as, as well as various areas, um, that may take, you know, typically a week, three to four days, so a week. So if you look at how long does it take, um, it may take easily, you know, four to five weeks in the 
preparation stage and another week to execute that session. Sure. So yeah, a matter of, of months, if not if not years, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ideally, you're constantly working on it. Ideally, there there you have a you have someone who is monitoring the trends, somebody who is uh, you know is following the strategy. If there are any changes need to be uh, to be uh, imp or done to the strategy and implemented. Sure. So and, what is what is the, the difference between leaders and and and, and followers with regard to uh, the innovation management capabilities in that capability area? Um, it's it's basically easily said as it, it's the level of depth, right? So and breadth of this activity we're just describing. So if you ask the question, do you have an innovation strategy? Uh, do you put it in a in a appropriate time frame in a, in a recurring mode together? Every company would say yes, but the level of involvement, the breadth and depth and analytics behind, uh, that's the, the, what's differentiating the one from the other. And uh, in that regard, you can, can, we can really say that the, the, the relation between profitable growth, sustainable profitable growth, and the effort uh, uh, of, of time and, and excellence put into developing of the innovation strategy is correlating. Right, that's what we've seen. Sure. And, and you mentioned getting customer feedback in, uh, in, in your answer, Violetka. Do you give a few examples of how to cultivate this feedback during the innovation process in the book? Can you talk about what you believe is the best way to get the most valuable feedback and why it's so important to the innovation process as a whole? What we've seen, the best innovators are very close to their customers. They study how the customers are using the product or the service. Uh, they study what's going well. They collect constantly information, and this is first-hand information. Like if you look at the um, companies like 3M, many times their employees would go and look at how customers are using their products and get constant feedback. So the best way is to be directly, um, to be interacting with a customer who the product or the service is intended for, um, be in their shoes, use the product or the service as they would typically use it, and also seek feedback, seek, seek early feedback on the product or service as it's being developed. Uh, to trying to fail fast if it's needed and trying to uh, get feedback on the early prototypes of, of a specific product. So um, some innovators, for example, volunteer to work in customer organizations. And again, they try to experience um, the, what customer is going through using the product or the services the actual customer would enjoy. Why is it important? Um, we define it innovation as from the market to the market. So the best innovators uh, provide those products that have, that can satisfy, or services that can satisfy the um, well-articulated or the implicit needs of the customers. And um, what, what we've seen is, unless you can provide a product or service that truly uh, relates to the customer needs, you're not very likely to be successful and profitable in the, in the long term. Yeah, we, we really need to underline the, the aspect of needs, right? It, it, it's always a little bit, uh, the, the immediate reaction when you, when you ask this question about customer, uh, that, that some people might understand, okay, go to your customer and ask what they want. That's, that's not the, the thing we are promoting here. It, what we are promoting is uh, really understanding the needs which are out there. 
because and, and, and you need to understand the need in an ecosystem context, not on the just the pure product piece, right? So each each current product serves a certain need in the market, but it needs to be put into a context and within the ecosystem. Um, I always I'm using the, the example of, of uh, uh, the disk mans and flash memory um, in order to make it a bit more uh, understandable. So when when you you can go to the to the customer and ask the question, okay, if they were disments and use them, it was uh, years ago. Probably there many of the young people today don't know disments anymore. But <laughs> nevertheless, in order to make it uh, more understandable, they, they would have asked, okay, what what what's disturbing and what you're looking for? And then they said, okay, yeah, I need to make more battery power in order to have longer longer playing time, uh, the stability uh, is not, not enough, so it needs to be probably more stable when I do jogging and so on and so forth. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, there was a technology emerging with a flash memory, and, and based on flash memory, you can store much, much more of, so of the songs. On the other hand, uh, with, to com in combination with the Internet, you basically can, can completely, in, in, in a new way, define the, the, the market segment of, of, of mobile entertainment. Right, and then thinking from the mobile entertainment segment as an ecosystem, uh, you come up with different services you can provide in order to serve this need of having uh, entertainment while jogging. Um, and, and thinking through this like this, and, 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 and really coming from a needs aspect in an ecosystem, uh, you basically uh, uh, come up with really different solutions in order to serve that need. And this ability, this needs to be developed in, in corporates. Right? Yeah, you couldn't take those disc mans anywhere without them skipping. I remember. <laughs> uh, okay, so so let me ask about not invented here syndrome. It's something that you write about in the book, and the necessity for for collaboration between companies or organizations in order to innovate to the best of their ability. So, how do you recommend that that companies and corporate leaders get past this common malady? Well, it's um, there. There are a couple of there are many different ways, right? But one of them is promoting the right culture, uh, driving culture of collaboration, of engagement, of ownership. Um, if you have more people engaged in the process, they're more likely to feel that they own it. They 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 own the innovation. So engaging more is better uh, for that syndrome. Um, providing leadership support, providing being a role model of how that innovation would be supported, um, you know, for, from external partners or internally, uh, defining and implementing metrics, for example, uh, rewarding uh, time to market, accelerated time to market. If you have the right metric and if that's a common metric, you are driving the right behaviors. So culture, leadership, uh, metrics, these are some of the ways when you set those right, that, that's one of the ways to prevent this not invented here syndrome. And with regard probably to the question to, to what extent we would recommend to getting really rid of that, I would say there's no way around it to get rid of that because um, uh, looking at all the products we are currently using, I think it's always a combination of different kind of technologies behind. And usually you don't own all the technologies. And if you own all, um, it's probably way too costly to, to stay always at the front end. So you need to open up in order to combine different technologies uh, to the product or the service you're, you're, you're going to sell. So there, there, there's no way out. And we're all in a very mature industry. It's across industry where you look, 
uh, all are very mature. And 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 for example, digital is coming around the corner from 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 everywhere. And uh, with this in this age of digitization, you need to be open. You need to identify the uh, the right value propositions, the the abilities which pop up, which somehow complements your product and probably make it more distinctive and be open in order to identify that and then uh, uh, think through how to best cope with it and, and, and put it into a kind of new context. So there's no way out, I think. Yeah. And, and you write about becoming, quote unquote, ambidextrous in the book. Is that what you mean by, by becoming ambidextrous, being able to play you know, across a lot of different fields? Yeah, so and, and probably stepping in a step back and, and not inventing here syndrome. I think there's you always need to think through it in, in uh, with regard to innovation management about a portfolio approach, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we make it simple, um, and because we don't can use drawings here in this kind of taping exercise <laughs> um, or recording exercise. Um, it, it, everybody probably who might listen knows the answer of matrix, and uh, it goes from existing technology, new technology, existing market, new markets. And then if you look at your current business uh, uh, as, as the one which is probably currently serving the existing segments with regard to technology and, 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 and markets, um, you, you always need to, to challenge as a, as, as a CXO or a CEO uh, your current organization to do incremental stuff uh, within the current context. But uh, on top of that, uh, you really need to reach out in order to also enable your organization to go for step changes market-wise or technology-wise, or even look for the potential disruptor in a kind of new, new, yeah, a new market, new, new technology uh, type of corner. Um, so, and and coming back to your question, yes, the organization who is most innovative needs to be able to do both. Right? It's not that uh, it's allowed to just concentrate on the incremental steps uh, uh, within the current core. Uh, no, uh, you need to enable your organization to really also reach out for the potential completely disrupting, disrupting element, uh, which you probably won't identify in your current core because uh, it will be uh, it will be fighted, right? Because the, the, all, the, all the current stuff might have significant, uh, uh, they will be significantly afraid of uh, being attacked by this kind of potential new business model because it might cost their jobs. So uh, I think you need to be able to do both and need to enable your organization to do both, which is not that simple. Sure. So on a more, more tactical level, I just want to add a little bit on a more tactical level, you need to have a team that's dedicated to um, identifying and managing some of those external partners because those external partners can bring you those new ideas that you may be lacking. Also, that would be a team that can, can facilitate the internal generation of innovation. And those people have a different profile of some of the people you may already have on board, although it may be an internal team, but they may be hired from the outside or would have a different profile than anyone you have internally. But um, you're relying on the partners, relying on that internal organization, and again, having the right culture would enable you to be ambidextrous, focus on the current, the delivery of the current, but also be able to generate new innovations and business opportunities. So Kai, let me ask you about the best innovator competition. It's something that's near and dear to your heart. You began it in Germany in 2003. 
to identify and communicate the best practices of some of the most innovative companies. How did you realize that there needed to be more recognition in this area, especially in Germany? So, um, I think what, what, what is innovation? Innovation is thinking from the market to the market, so a more integrated way uh, in order to become, at the end, more effective. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Um, I think in the, in the 80s and the 90s, uh, there was still a lot of opportunity in, in the emerging globalization to, to develop something or research something, develop something and push it into the market. Um, and this push mode uh, uh, becomes more and more uh, a disadvantage if you just concentrate it on it only. Uh, so uh, this balance in between understanding at the front end, okay, what the needs are, we, are, are out there, uh, and on the other hand, aligning and focusing your, your internal organization on these potential needs identified and better clarified uh, w- would lead to much more effectiveness. And uh, you need more effectiveness because at the end, I think it, it's very expensive to go for, for new products and, 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 and business models, and it's somehow risky. And as, as things mature more, I think there's this much more significant need in order to be more effective. So in that regard, I think innovation was the logical next steps after a more or less R&D-focused world with the push mode. And it's been around for, this will be its 12th year, I believe. How have you seen it evolve since you founded it in 2003? Yeah, this this need and and uh, the um, uh, this need and 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 basically the the conviction that uh, this is important travels around the world. So um, uh, in the first run, we basically expanded with Innovator in Europe, um, and and after that, we we jumped over to Brazil. From Brazil, uh, in the meantime, we we have the most traction in China and and Turkey. So it is going over to emerging countries, somehow emerging countries with Turkey, but on the other hand with China, also with, with companies where their innovation is also really on top of the list in the meantime as a topic. So around the world, the topic of innovation at this point in time is, is really in everybody's mind. Um, and uh, that's what we observed. Okay, very nice. Well, Kai and Violet and Violetka, thanks so much for joining us today. The book is Masters of Innovation. Uh, it's your baby, and I'm sure you're very proud of it. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the read. And uh, and uh, if they'd like to learn more about your company, atkearney.com. If listeners would like to learn more about the book, uh, the books. what's the book's URL? Yeah, there's a website out there. It's uh, mastersofinnovationproject.org. Okay, nice. So, and it, of course, available on Amazon.com and, uh, and in sure. bookstores around the world. Yeah, sure. Okay. Also yeah. different languages. And how, how many languages? Uh, it, we, we have great traction in Japan, Korea, and China, for example. It's currently being translated and will be shortly available in those languages. Okay, very nice. Well, um, great speaking with you from uh, everywhere around the world today. Thanks again for coming on and uh, keep an eye out for the book, Masters of Innovation. Thank you very much. If you'd like to find out more about Masters of Innovation, building the perpetually innovative company, you can visit atkearney.com books where you can buy the book, 
and find a host of related information, including a free excerpt, plus related audio, video, and articles. As Kai mentioned, the book is currently being translated into Japanese, Chinese, and German, and will be available shortly in each of those languages. If you'd like to learn more about A.T. Kearney, you can visit the company's website at www.atkearney.com. And if you'd like to know more about the Best Innovator competition, including how to participate in it, you can visit its site at www.atkearney.com slash web slash best hyphen innovator. Thanks once again to Kai Engel and Violetka Dirlea for joining us this week. And thank you for joining us this week. Don't forget to tune into next week's episode when we're excited to have Harvard Business School professor and author Dr. Teresa Amable on the podcast to talk about her book, The Progress Principle. Among the topics we'll cover are why you should absolutely positively sweat the small stuff in the workplace, the importance of creativity in the workplace to driving innovation, and why so-called inner work life is so vital to get right in any company. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week. The Innovation Engine podcast is recorded, produced, edited, and published each week by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. For more information on the company or our services, please visit our website at www dot three pillar global dot com.